Now, Nath, I want you to pick out the person in the congregation you think would be most like Moses. Most like Moses. <laughs> Matt. Oh, okay, Matt. You get to sit down, Matt. Now, put your arms up as high as you can, Matt. That's your, ba- that's your staff. You're not allowed to put your arms down because if you put your arms down, they're all going to die. Now, if his arms start getting weary, so you're allowed, so you're Aaron. Aaron, you can go on that side. And you're her. You can go on this side. Okay. Now, he's going to have to hold his arms up for hours, like until we're finished today. So he's going to get tired. When he gets tired, he'll let you know. Okay. This is actually a biblical story. So have fun, boys, while we uh, get on with business. <laughs> We've been looking at this idea of messy church, right? That every church that exists on the face of the planet is messy because it's full of people that are on a journey to get to the place of being holy or being like Jesus. And so we can pretend that we've got it all together or we can be real and say, listen, there's parts of my life that are good and in order, but there's parts of my life that I'm still trying to get victory in. And we can continue to work together to bring other people in that are struggling and they're going to make it messy, but that's the way it should be. And God is cleaning up the mess all the time and making the mess into something beautiful. It's just the economy of God. Last week we looked at for us to truly be a church that can handle messiness in people's lives and all the frustration that comes, we have to be servants. And we've got to look at what it's like to be in another person's shoes and to to journey with what they're going through and the hardship that they might experience in or, you know, whatever's going on for them, we need to have compassion for them. Not write them off because they've made mistakes or their life's out of order, but to embrace them and love them. And, And by corralling them and putting our arms of love around them and serving them, we'll get them to that place where they'll be open enough to say, how do I change? What do I need to do? to be the person that God wants me to be. And we've been looking at the church as a family, as an army, and as a hospital, a place of healing. Today I want to look at the church as an army, and what we were doing just a minute ago was really the church being an army, beginning to stand up and fight. But there's this contradiction when you think about an army because, you know, they're all regimented and they're clean and they're in uniform and they're in sync and they look beautiful, but that's the reality of being in the army. It's bloody, it's messy, there's trauma, there's grief, there's loss of life. You know, there's, there's just incredible, you know what it's like to talk to a Vietnam vet who went through that trauma. They're never the same. They're never the same because of what they were experiencing, because of war. And we're in a war. And sometimes we try to make the church a place where it's all slick and smooth and all, you know, professional, but it's not. It's ordinary people struggling in life to have victory so that they can help others. And it's messy. It's really messy. And the more that we can be real about that struggle and the conflict in our life, the greater things will be. How you going, Matt? Getting tired yet? No one's died yet. That's good. So we really are a community of warriors. Or we're supposed to be a community of warriors. Because if we're not fighting for the kingdom of God, if we're not pushing the enemy back, if we're not the ones praying and interceding and going into the brothels, and if we're not the ones sharing our faith, who is? There is no war. It's just a capitulation. We're just letting the enemy have his way unless we stand and fight. So we, I think the church needs to learn to do this oh, a lot better, a lot, lot better. Uh, and learn how to fight. And the only way we can fight is on our knees in prayer, 
praying and believing God by faith that he's going to move. So I want to share this story with you today out of Exodus 17. The Amalekites came and attacked the Israelites at Rephidim. And Moses said to Joshua, choose some of our men and go out to fight the Amalekites. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hands. Good on you, Moses. Doing well there, mate. So Joshua fought the Amalekites as Moses had ordered, and Moses, Aaron and Hur, thanks Aaron and Hur, went to the top of the hill. As long as Moses held his hands up, the Israelites were winning. But whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. When Moses' hands grew tired, he took a stone and put it under him and he sat on it. Well, we've given you a chair, Matt. We're gracious. <laughs> Aaron and Hur held his hands up, one on one side, one on the other, so that his hands remained steady till sunset. So this is an all-day ordeal of Moses standing there with the staff of God. And he knew the weight of his responsibility because every time his arms began, he could see down below the Amalekites started to kill the Israelites. So it's like, I've got old man's up. <laughs> Not an ideal situation to be in. So Joshua overcame the Amalekite army with the sword. Then the Lord said to Moses, write this on a scroll as something to be remembered and make sure that Joshua hears it because I will completely blot out the name of Amalek from under heaven. So Moses built an altar and called it, The Lord is my banner, or Jehovah Nissi. And he said, Because hands were lifted up against the throne of God, the throne of the Lord, the Lord will be at war against the Amalekites from generation to generation. There has never been an attack on the church against Christians like there is right now. Because we are truly in the last days. I don't think anyone with a right mind can look at the disintegration of our society and what's happening worldwide. And it's becoming to the point where the enemy is really launching against people in every context, everywhere, whether it's in business, Christian people are struggling. They're discouraged. They want to give up. They're overwhelmed. You know, and, and it's because the enemy is launching an assault, full-blown on every one of us. And it's a sustained attack. And we need to be very aware of that, that we are fighting a battle against principalities and powers and rulers and authorities that want to lay waste the church. They don't want us to be vibrant and alive and unified and with vision and purpose because then they'll be defeated. So they're pushing in. The enemy's pushing in, and we've got to learn to push back. But this is a really, really significant story because if this is the first battle that Israel ever had. Now, the Israelites were not a warring people. They were nomadic. They'd just come out of Egypt. They weren't warriors. So this is their first battle experience. And so it seems to me that God set up almost a precedent or a set of principles for spiritual warfare in this one particular context. And I think we can adapt those to spiritual warfare today. The principles still apply from this story. It's very strategic. But I want you to notice that there's a, there's a really blatant contradiction in the passage because God says to Moses, write this down on a scroll because I'm going to annihilate the name of Amalek from under heaven. In other words, I'm going to wipe him out today. The Amalekites are gone. As of today, they're finished, they're wiped out. But then it goes on to say in verse 16 that the Lord will be at war with the Amalekites from generation to generation. 
It's almost like it doesn't make any sense. So I think what we need to do, if this is a, like a, an overview of spiritual warfare, if this is an overview of what life is like serving God, advancing the kingdom of God, then what the Amalekites really are is a, is a picture of Satan and demons. So there was a historical context where a group of tribal warriors called the Amalekites came and attacked Israel. And God said, I'm going to wipe them out. But they were representative of Satan and all his cohorts and the principle of warfare forever and a day. So we get a a one-time look at this, but we get the principles for a lifetime. So So Amalek and the Amalekites are a type, a representation. And there's some really, really amazing principles in this story. And the first one is that the enemy knows and goes for the weakest point. That story, it says that the Amalekites laid wait for Israel. It wasn't like the army of Israel were walking. How's he going over there? Getting a bit tired? It wasn't. (laughs) They're having their own private conversation. They're arguing about how long they're going to last. But this is the principle. The Amalekites didn't come and attack the Israelites front on. It wasn't like one army came against an army, another army. They laid wait. What they did was when the, arm, when the Israelites were marching along, they went to the end of the column and they picked out the feeble. They picked out the weak. They picked out the elderly. They picked out the women and children and they attacked them. Now, to me, that's a, that is what I see Satan do all the time. He goes for the weakest link. And what he normally does is he goes to the back. He goes to our past and he tries to grab something in our past to get us off being focused on God. He doesn't fight fair. Okay? It's guerrilla warfare. And Satan and his, his, the demons don't fight fair. There's no mercy here. There's no you know, rules of engagement. There's no Geneva Convention. It's merciless. It's cruel. And they will never give up trying to attack. They don't fight fair. And there's a real principle in here that primarily when the enemy comes to attack us, he tries to grab something from our past and bring it up and put it in front of us so that we don't go forward. He goes, remember you did this. Remember you made that mistake. (laughs) Remember this happened so you can't rightfully take on that role and responsibility. Remember you failed as a father in that incident or as a mother or whatever. He'll bring something from the rear and that's where he will attack. He'll go for our identity in our past. And that's just his strategy. We need to know the way that the enemy works so we don't go, oh, I'm surprised. He won't come at you like this so you know he's coming. He'll come from behind and he'll sneak up. He'll lay in wait and he'll go, ah. Uh-uh. Now's the right moment. This is the right thing to do. So the enemy knows and goes for our weakest point. So don't put a target on your back by being at the end of the column. Don't be the one that's dragging behind, that's, you know, that's isolated, that's by themselves, that's an easy target. Now listen, it's a principle in nature, right? You've got a pack of whatever they are, wildebeest, Okay, what are the lions going to do? They're going to run at the herd, wait till one of them gets isolated, and then he'll attack. And it happens all the time. I get so tired 
of dealing with people that go, oh, I feel left out by the church. I feel overlooked. I feel so isolated, excluded. When was the last time you came to church? Oh, five weeks ago. When was the last time you were in an Activate group? Oh, I haven't been in one this year. You're setting yourself up. You're going to get shot. I can't fight for you. You're putting yourself in a position where the enemy just goes, you fool. That's exactly what I want you to do. Be feeble and weak and lag behind and be isolated because I can get you. And that's what he does. So we don't get trapped by looking at your past. Don't get isolated, but focus on the future. That's the other side of this story is that Moses had his eyes and his reliance totally fixed on God. Totally fixed on God. And we need to be those sort of people that are smart. Now listen to Hebrews 10. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. And listen, and all the more in the last days, when you see the day approaching, which is the last day. What is the enemy trying to do? Scatter and divide. Because if he can scatter and divide, he can pick people out. And it happens all the time. And we make those, I'm going to call them foolish choices to isolate ourselves. We have to integrate ourselves into the pack and stay together in the safety. So don't put a target on your back by being the one that's left out. Because you will go down. Happens time and time again. Third principle, I think, in this story is our fight has to be our fight. Why didn't Moses say, sorry, I'm not carrying this thing anymore. You carry it. He didn't give up the staff. He didn't pass it on to somebody else. He didn't didn't be a husband who said, oh, I'll just let my wife do the fighting. He stayed fighting the fight. He knew it was his responsibility as the leader of the nation to stand there, but he went through the agony and the pain of numb arms, a sore back. There was every good reason why he should have said, I can't be bothered. But he knew that the moment his arms went down, somebody was going to suffer. It's a warfare principle that if we're not fighting the fight God's called us to do, somebody around us is going to suffer. Our children are going to suffer. Our wives are going to suffer. Our church is going to suffer. Somebody somewhere is going to suffer if the fight that God's called me to be in, I shirk my responsibility. We can't evade or avoid our fight. We've got to stay in the battle. Battles are bloody. There's sacrifice. It hurts. It's ugly. There's no war that's won without mayhem. Remember when the diggers went over to Europe for World War I, they thought they were going to have this great party? You know, oh, we get to see the sights of Europe, but we'll be home by Christmas. And they got into warfare. And then they truly understood what it meant to be in a fight. Here's the thing. We've got to fight our fight, but we don't have to fight it alone. It's a really great principle, isn't it? God doesn't set us up to fight fights and then go, well, you're on your own, Moses. He drew some men in alongside that held Moses' arms up when he was fatigued and when he was tired. But think about it. They were fatigued and tired too. 
They had to stand there all day like this. It wasn't very pleasant, but that's warfare. And we all say, God, I want my life to be so easy and packaged and manageable and be no upsets or anything. You're not engaged in a fight if that's the way you want your life to be. You've got to fight. You've got to fight. You enlisted the day you gave your life to Jesus Christ. (laughs) You enlisted in the battle. And we've got to learn that we can fight. And the beauty of this story is that there is guaranteed victory if we do it God's way. About 2000, and I'm trying to get my dates right, and I probably haven't got them right, somewhere around 2008, um, and these things don't happen overnight, um, I started to what I would call slip into depression. In about, I think it was about 2008, um, I started to become aware that it was like the clouds in my mind started to form and just sort of came down and I, I wouldn't have labelled it depression. I didn't know what it was but I just had this clouded perspective of who I was and what I was doing and why I was doing it and a sense of great failure started to come into my life. Okay, I'm leading a church. I'm supposed to be the one that's got it all together, you know, and I'm suddenly seeing myself slip away, feeling lost, alone, you know, just very confused. They were very, very, very dark days. And I, what the enemy was doing was going back into my life and grabbing things and bringing them up and reinforcing my sense of failure and trying to undermine my sense of identity. And I didn't have the strength to fight. I was still leading a church. If you'd have asked everybody in the church, they'd have known no different because I learnt how to play the game of presenting myself as if I had it together. But I really didn't. And what I learnt was that I needed to be... um, What's the word? I needed to be honest enough with myself to ask people for some help. And when I got that help, I found that I got out of that place fairly quickly. But what if I'd have never asked? What if Moses had never asked for Aaron and her to come and stand with you? He'd have never made the victory. It would have gone down. Now, it wasn't probably depression as in clinical depression that I had. It was more circumstantial that I was allowing... The, the fatigue that I was in, being a leader, combined with what the enemy was telling me to combine together and I was starting to slip down. And let's face it, in all of our lives, we're fighting something in us that we're trying to get victory over. And if we can be real about that and do it this way where we, you know, we don't drop out of the battle and say, well, I'm just not fighting because that's just a lie. If we can fight with people around us that we know will stand with us and encourage us, they can't solve the problem. Her and Aaron couldn't really solve the problem. They couldn't make the battle go away. They just stood with their leader in the midst of strife and probably encouraged him and he probably encouraged them and they probably went, I can't do this any longer. Yes, you can, Moses. We've got to do this because if we don't do this, they're going to die. And so they fought and they stood and they fought. It would have been really interesting to watch that scenario unfold during that day. Sometimes we've just got to ask for help. Now Moses was probably the most capable leader of the whole New Testament, if not the entire biblical history. 
that he had to call out for help. He couldn't win the battle on his own, no matter how great he was. The fourth thing is that in a spiritual battle, there's a spiritual element and there's a physical element as well. And we need to be under the covering of both. If Joshua had gone and faced the Amalekites without Moses and Aaron and Hur on the hill, they'd have got decimated. If Moses, Aaron and Hur had stood on the hillside with the staff up and said, Lord, remove the Amalekites, nothing would have happened because they needed both. They needed someone to pick up a sword and go into the battle and fight. There was a physicality to the battle. There's a physicality to our battle. We've got to go into our workplaces, into our schools. We've got to face hard things at times and we've got to do the physical dimension of the fight. But you would be a fool to do the physical without the spiritual covering. The principle of warfare here is that Moses, Aaron and her were covering the battle in prayer and intercession. And what they were doing was they were leaning the nation into God by relying on him. So there was mayhem going on, but in the midst of that mayhem, their strength, they were leaning into God. And God said, yeah, build an altar and remember this. I am Jehovah Nissi. I am the Lord, your banner over you. Now, if you watch an Anzac Day march when the soldiers are going through, they come by a regiment and battalion. And every one of those regiments and battalions has a banner. The 5th Division of whatever, I don't know. I don't understand military terms. But you ask those men about their allegiance to that banner. Men that have fought together in war will... Weep like little babies if you try to tear down their regiment and their camaraderie and who they were under that banner because they bled and died and suffered under that banner. They identify with that. And that's what Israel was doing. It was identifying with, hey, there's a physical battle going on that people are going to die. There's going to be bloodshed. We're going to have to take people's lives. Remember, these were not fighting men. For the first time, they were taking a sword and cutting someone's head off or driving it through their heart. This was not easy. But they did the physical side of it, knowing that the spiritual side of it had them covered. Every one of us can attest to getting into a physical battle without the covering. (laughs) And we can probably testify to the mess that happened afterwards or during because we didn't really lean into the Lord. Our eyes weren't really fixed on him in the midst of the fight. The other part about this is that we're not fighting alone. We're fighting together. If Moses and Aaron and Hur hadn't prayed and Joshua hadn't gone and the men hadn't followed Joshua, there'd be no victory. Every one of us plays a part in some, we're a link in the chain of a battle. And if I don't play my part, then the person next to me suffers. And then if that person doesn't play their part, and so we're linked together, that's the body of Christ, that we stand against flesh and blood, against rulers and principalities and powers. So right now, right across every church, there are demons assigned to each individual church to find the weakest link to tear it down. Don't be the weakest link. (laughs) Don't be at the back of the line. Be up the front with your eyes on Moses and Aaron, on God and his deliverance, which will come. 
But you can't get out of being in a messy fight. It's always going to be messy. So there's a price to pay in any victory. And we have to ask ourselves if we're willing to pay the price. Part of my coming to terms with my burnout or depression or whatever it was, what I, I eventually had to go some, to somebody and say, you know something, you know how you think I've got it all together? In fact, I don't have it together at all. I'm really struggling. I'm drowning in what's happening. I had let the enemy get an upper hand and I didn't know how to get that upper hand back because I was fatigued and tired. And all I needed was some people to come and remind me of the future that God had for me and to go back into my past and say, yeah, but Mark, you're looking at all the negatives. Look at all the positives of what God had done. Okay? I was willing to the point to walk out on ministry because I felt so defeated and I felt so isolated. And all the things that I tried to look at in my past that were probably good things, I didn't see them as good. I didn't see them as successes. I, didn't, I saw them as failures. And when someone else comes and gives you perspective and says, but hang on a minute, they're lies. That's foolishness. Look at this, 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 and this. You just sometimes need to somebody to remind you of the destiny that God has for you up there. Stop looking in the rearview mirror and look up ahead. And it'll drag you up into the strength of God. I praise God for a man called David Chatelier. A little Indian man who some of you have met who took me out for a coffee and said, Mark, wake up. You're letting the enemy run you over because you've got yourself isolated. Get back in the game. I'll stand with you. And he rang me nearly every day. How are you doing today, mate? I'm feeling a little bit better. That's good. Keep fighting. I can't get you out of the fight. I can't tell you to quit. I can't tell you to give up ministry because that's the call that God's asked you to fight. So if you lay that down, you step out of the covering of God because that's what he's called you to do. Get back in and get some fighting men and women around you. And that's what I did. And slowly and surely, I got back to that place where I had my foot on the enemy. He didn't have his foot on me. And this is happening all the time. People are struggling with mental illness, with addictions, with all sorts of hardship in their life. There's going to be a battle to get victory in that. And we can just ignore it and pretend it's not there. We can pretend like we're somebody that we're not. But I don't think that's God's design for ministry and the church. I think we've got to be real. This is the best part. His banner is our guarantee of victory. It's not that I just have people like Matt and Darren and Dave and John and all the men of this church around me to help carry me at times when I need it. I've got a greater friend who's my true brother in arms. He's got my back. He's my God and my king. And as long as I'm prepared to get bloody in the mess that God's asked me to fight, he's guaranteed he's going to protect me. There could be lots of casualties around about me, and we've been in ministry for nearly 20 years. I've seen so many Christians drop off. And the principle is always the same. If you go and talk to them, it's always because they've isolated themselves or they've let the enemy come up from underneath or behind and ambush them. He just laid in wait and he got them. 
It wasn't like overnight. It happened gradually. But instead of being honest and saying, I need somebody to help me keep my hands up. I need somebody to help me keep my perspective right on who God is, what he's called me to do, who I am in him. Because it's your identity that he'll go for. And if we can stand strong in our identity, he's, Moses is doing, you're getting tired, mate. <laughs> no one's died yet, that's good. Yeah, you two aren't real good helpers, are you? It's good. You guys can rest now if you want. You've done really well. You want to keep it up? Okay, that's good. And the last point I wanted to make is that you are somebody's her and somebody is your her. Have you ever heard of her before? What? Not been her. We're not really sure who her is. It could be Caleb's son, Joshua and Caleb, could be his son. It could be Moses' sister Miriam's husband. But we really don't know. And now I think that's the beautiful picture of this, that here's a leader struggling to have victory and this man comes and stands with him but he gets no accolades. He's not in the spotlight. We never really hear of him again, but he's part of one of the greatest victories that Israel ever had. And sometimes when you're a her, you don't get the pats on the back for being that encouraging person. You don't get the accolades because you were just that voice in that person's life at that time. But you are somebody's her because God will put you there. He'll give you the opportunity to stand and keep somebody's hands raised up. That's one of the great privileges of being in ministry, that when people come and share their struggle, you're able to get alongside them and try and hold their hand up and say, you can win this. That's the guarantee. You can win the battle. Is it going to be easy? No. Moses had to stand there till sunset. So no war you fight is going to be over in five minutes. If it's a fight worth fighting, it's going to be probably a prolonged fight where you're going to need to be persevering and persistent and strong in the spirit, which means you're going to have to have a strong spiritual backbone if you're going to stand a fight against a principality and a power that is hell-bent, literally hell-bent, on making our lives miserable. But he has overcome. You know why I know that? Because the time that Jesus had his hands lifted up, that's when he had victory. Same principle, exactly the same principle. We keep telling about Jesus when he's high and lifted up, that's when the victory came. Same principle as Moses. Moses was a type of Jesus. He was just looking down the tunnel of time to the day when Jesus would be nailed to a cross and he would have to endure all that pain and anguish for us so that we could see that Jesus made a public spectacle of his enemy and where that's our inheritance. We come in under that banner. That's the beautiful thing, that we can parade out of here, march out of here into any situation that we go into, not blindly thinking that it's just going to be all roses, but knowing there's a victory for us if we stay the course. And staying the course is enduring the pain and the agony and the hardship of what these guys are doing right now. Well, one of them is. It's all right, they're not listening. That's right. So remember, you are somebody's her. 
You can be that catalyst in somebody's life to get them to victory. Could be as simple as a phone call. Could be as simple as just checking up on people all the time. Being part of a home group where every week you keep asking, how are you guys going? How's your marriage going? How's this going? When you see somebody's arms start to go down, go and lift them up. Because the day will come when your arms are going down. And you'll be looking for somebody to come alongside you and just raise those arms and say, hey, we're going to fight this together. You know? I love that expression um, in, in the Aussie mateship, how we, we talk about if I'm in the trenches, that's the guy I'd want next to me. You know, We need that camaraderie in the church. We need that camaraderie as men. We need that camaraderie as women. And we need that camaraderie as a family. But part of being able to win the victories, we've got to be honest with the fights that we're in. If we pretend we're not in a fight and we've got it all together, nobody knows. But when we're honest enough to say, this is the struggle I've got, would you help me? Hopefully, and not always, sadly, the church sometimes fails, but hopefully there's the resources and the manpower and the heart and the compassion for people to come and stand alongside and lift their arms up again. That's what warfare is. It's going into a brothel and standing along someone whose life's very messed up and saying, how do I lift your arms up? How do I give you hope? And there'll be a moment when that battle really gets hot and the principalities and powers that are behind this person's arms that are coming down will be exposed. And that's when the victory comes. We need to be people that know how to stick the knife in our enemy and stop pretending like he's not a force to be reckoned with because he is. And we need to be smart enough to know how our enemy works and how we as God's children can grab our weapon of warfare and cut him down. So the weapons we have in God are mighty They're not carnal, but they're mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. Every stronghold must come down. Every stronghold shall be broken. But the only way they're going to come down is if someone goes and tackles them and if someone fights them and confronts them and has the gumption to have the faith to believe that when we open our mouths and we speak out against a principality and power or a stronghold or some influence that the enemy has, we need to know the weapon that we've got in our mouth and use it, not just to fight for others, but to fight for ourselves as well. That's what David taught me to do. He said, Mark, go back to declaring who you are in God. Write it on a piece of paper. I don't care how you feel when you do it, but every morning read this out over yourself. So I started doing it. I am a child of God, but I don't feel like it. I am a victor, but I don't really feel like one because I had allowed my feelings to overrule the truth and I had to wrestle to get those back in alignment again and get the perspective right and make my feelings obey my mind, that was a wrestle. But I won, and I'm still standing. So I can sing like Elton John did. I'm still standing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the test of time. Israel was still standing at the end of the battle. Sorry for embarrassing my children. 
No, I can't dance. We know that. It's a known truth in our family. Dad can't dance. We know that, except in Fiji where it doesn't really matter. You can stand. You can fight. You can win. If you've got a Bible there, just flip over to Ephesians. Ephesians 6, chapter verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power, his banner over us. Put on the full armour of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armour of God so that when the day of evil comes, and it's here, it's here. There's stuff going on in our nation right now in the court system that would make you your hair stand on end. My sister's a, a lawyer for Monash University. Um, she's a professor there. And there is stuff going into our parliament at the moment that is basically going to legalise perversion. It's coming. The days of evil are already here and they're getting stronger and stronger and stronger. So we need to learn how to stand or we will get decimated. Uh, Ephesians 6, verse 10 through. Therefore, put on the full armour of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. Belt of truth. Who am I in God? That's the truth. Buckled around your waist with the breastplate of righteousness in place and with your feet firmed with the readiness that comes with the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take up the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep praying for all the saints. Sounds like a war cry to me. I don't normally recommend movies, but I want to recommend one. It's a movie called We Were Soldiers. Uh, Mel Gibson's in it. And it's a story about um, they were the first regiment that went into Vietnam using helicopters. So the helicopters would be their horses and drop them in the battle and the helicopter would go. It's, it's a pretty ugly movie. It's very bloody, but it's very real. But there's great principles in it because he ends up having victory because he studies the general from the Viet Cong army and he learns the way that he fights and so he knows how he's going to defeat him in the end. It's a horrible movie, but it's the reality of war. And he gets the victory in the end. And the story is about you know, all the wives that receive their letters from the government to say that their husband's been killed in battle. Like It's not pretty. But you realise that you can't have a war without casualties and you can't have a war without courageous men and women willing to go into that battle and fight. One of the scenes I love at the end is the guy that's been flying them in every day. He gets to the end of the day when it's dark and they can't fly in anymore and he gets out of the cabin of his cockpit of his helicopter and he just falls on his knees and he pukes everywhere because of what he's seen. He's seen these bodies throw into his helicopter and he's dropped them off and he's gone back in and he knows that those guys down there are getting, you know, 
hell on earth. And, and his heart goes out to them. And it's really a story like this. There's mayhem in our nation. And we've got to be the ones that fight to make a stand that pray. And I believe that prayer is the key. That's what Paul says. Pray with all kinds of prayers. Warfare prayers. Prayers pleading for God to do something. All sorts of prayers. But do it at all times because that's our weapon. And when we as a church really pray, and I mean really pray, then we'll see those strongholds come down. We have to be servants. We have to be people that are willing to esteem others better than ourselves because we'll never get close to the hurt and the broken if we don't have a servant heart. But when we do have a servant heart and we combine that with a warrior spirit, a warrior's heart, then not only do you have the compassion, you also have the conviction to fight for them. It's not just tending their wounds, it's then getting them healed and whole so they can fight the battle that they need to fight. So this morning what I want to do is simply just leave it there. But if there's something in your life that you're struggling with that you want someone to stand with you, doesn't mean the battle will be over today. It might be just the start of the battle. It might be just you saying, I want to lift my arms up. I want to put this thing before the Lord today. I want to ask him to fight with me. That might be where you want to start today. It might be something that you've been struggling with for a long time that you know is getting on top of you again. I don't know. But if you would like someone to pray with you today, we'll do that. We'll stand with you in a physical sense, holding your arms up and praying for God to bring you through. And you know what? If you're willing to do that, he'll bring you through. If you're willing to stand, make a stand, God will bring you through. If you want to run away from your fights, God can't do anything. God can't do the things that we need to do. God can't make Mark go and ask for help. But God can bring the resources when I do. Does that make sense? Let's pray. Thank you, Lord. Father, the flesh in me just wants to run away most of the time. My selfishness says, Lord, I don't want to fight for other people. I just want to huddle where I'm safe. But Lord, I'm not really safe there. I'm only safe when I'm engaged in the fight that you've called me to fight, whether that's as a husband or as a father or as a leader or as a business owner or whatever capacity, God, you're calling us to fight, the arena that you're calling us to fight in. Father, help us to engage in that battle with a real revelation, and that is the word, revelation of what we're looking down on. Lord, give us that eyesight, that perspective that Moses and Aaron and her had of what was happening down in that valley. And because of their prayer and because of their, you know, their intercession, because of their belief, because they were willing to stand and look to God, Joshua won. And Lord, that's a principle for us that we can involve ourselves in the angst and the pain and the anguish of other people's lives and bring victory because we've got the faith to stand and pray and believe and know that you're moving when we ask you to. So Father, I want to pray today that there would be a, a, a wrestle in the life of this church and every other church, Lord God, to be a group of people 
that fight on their knees with a servant heart and in humility. But on the flip side of that, God, with a great conviction that if God is for us, if he is Jehovah Nissi, if he's true to his name, then God, you'll bring us victory in those areas that we bring before you. So Father, I pray today, give us the courage of heart to be real with ourselves and to put those things before you that we need victory in. God, help us to be people that have a perspective that know we're part of something bigger than ourselves. We're part of a body that needs us. And our body needs the parts joined together, not isolated and fractured, not dragging behind. But Father, help us to gather together, esteeming others better than ourselves, not saying I'm too tired to lift my hands up, but saying God will give me the strength to hold my hands up. And you'll bring others along to help me hold my hand up. Lord, this is just an incredible passage of Scripture. It's just a little story, but it's got so much depth to it. As we absorb our lives into that context and we say, Lord, the same principles apply for us. We want to be warriors, not arrogant, but strong in the spirit, making our stand, standing strong, pushing the enemy back when he presses against us not capitulating, not laying down and letting him have his way. But we say to him in every area that we possibly can, there's the line, you cannot come any further because I'm making my stand and I've got the sword of the Spirit in my hand. I've got the the belt of truth around me. I've got that breastplate of righteousness, the shield of faith. I've got the shoes of the gospel of peace. I'm ready to engage the battle. Lord, help us this week to realize that we're going to get in the trenches with a lot of people who are disillusioned and broken and hurting and they need someone to fight with them. Lord, help us roll up our sleeves and get in their mess and come alongside them and move them closer to you. And Lord, if there's something in our personal lives that we need to get right so we can be strong and stand, And Father, give us the courage to seek someone out to find an Aaron or a her to form a partnership so that we can be healed and whole. Father, I thank you for your word, Lord. Thank you that you give us these keys. You give us these, these, these timeless principles that, God, if we would only just use them as transformation instead of just information, if we take them as principles and apply them to our life, then, Lord, we'd see what we want to see. So, Lord, help us sift through the information and lay hold of the transformation in our own lives, of the power of God that will be poured out when we look to you and we engage the battle in faith and courage. Lord, I pray for each and every one here this week. Lord, send them out, not with their heads stooped down, but with their eyes fixed on heaven to the author and finisher of their faith who has great things ahead for every one of us. God's not worried about our past. He's calling us to a better future. And Lord, I thank you that that's your your strategy of warfare, that you're our banner over us. 
and it's a good banner. His banner over us is love. Lord, what a great day. It's Valentine's Day today. What a great day to remember your love for us and the love that you shed abroad in our hearts, Lord God, so that we can be givers and give our lives away. And sometimes giving is going to mean a fight. As for me and my family, we'll serve the Lord. We'll fight. We'll take the land that belongs to us. We'll take it. So, Lord, give us faith. Give us vision. Give us a capacity to lock shields together and stand strong in the spirit, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.